This is KOOP HD1 HD3 Hornsby. Welcome to the Austin Chronicle Show. My name is Kim Jones, and I am the editor of the Austin Chronicle, Austin's independent source of news and culture reporting since 1981. This week, we are going to be discussing the fiscal health of Central Health, and also the near-death and miraculous recovery of an iconic Austin business. Our first guest today is Austin Chronicle news editor Mike Clark Madison, here to talk about Central Health. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kim. So, Mike, I was doing my homework preparing for this interview, and I stumbled across a story you wrote about this time last year about Central Health's fiscal budget, and I was struck by your very first sentence. Do you remember what it was? Raise your hand if you know what Central Health is. Ding, ding, ding. He got it. Let's start there because I think that that question is, or that point is still very valid. Probably still true. Central Health is the Travis County Healthcare District. It was formed in 2005 in an election to take over what was the city's uh, interest in Brackenridge Hospital and the clinics that the city was then running with the county and centralized them into the healthcare provider for about 200,000 people in Travis County who are qualifying, basically people of lower incomes or who are uninsured and underinsured who are qualifying for assistance with their healthcare. These are people who aren't covered by Texas Medicaid because Texas Medicaid is so stingy, but they fall below the line that you would need to be in to get a uh, insurance on the Affordable Care Act exchange. So that gap, these are the people who Central Health is covering, and they've been doing it now for over a decade. They have their own line on the property tax bill, Travis County Healthcare District, DBA Central Health, and it's, their tax rate's about 10 cents, 10.5 cents per $100. So they're about 5% of the average property tax bill in Travis County, and that adds up to about $295 million a year that gets spent on various in various ways to provide health care. So what are some of the ways that they are providing health care? Well, a big, big part of it is they don't actually directly provide health care services. They pay other people to do that. They pay doctors to care for people who need to be covered. Um, they have a partnership with Dell Medical School, that has been the case since 2012. There was an election to raise the central health tax rate enough to cover a contribution to Dell Medical School to allow them to train doctors to provide community health services that weren't being provided in Austin. And so that's been going on now since the medical school actually came online four or five years ago. They also pay for clinic services And in this year's budget, they're paying to increase clinic services in eastern Travis County, the area that's been long underserved from Delroy, Del Valley and Elroy, Creedmoor, Hornsby Bend, up to Colony Park, so sort of the southeast crescent in Austin, where there really are no health clinics on the ground of any kind. And for a long time, there have been people in the community who have wanted Central Health to take the lead on providing this. And this last year, they were finally able to start making progress on building a new clinic out there. 
but they're also paying for transportation for people to get to doctor's appointments and a mobile clinic that goes to these various neighborhoods, uh, healthcare services that are being provided at schools, and even house calls in uh, the Austin's Colony subdivision out on 969. Well, I'd like to hear more about how people can find out if they qualify for this or how they can avail themselves of some of what Central Health does. But before we do that, uh, just a reminder to our listeners that this is the Co-op Fall Membership Drive. We could not bring you this show each week without your financial support. Volunteers are standing by waiting for your call, and you can give them a call at 512-472-5667, or you can just donate online at koop.org. Back to you, Mike. Right. So, um, yes, if you go online, centralhealth.net, that's basically where you're going to find all the beginning information that you need to know whether you are eligible or who is eligible or what programs are being provided or where your tax dollars are going if you're a property owner. All of that information is there, and we try to cover it at the Chronicle as well. The eligibility for services is a a piece of that, and that can be the MAP program, the medical access program that you may have heard of that people have who are lower income, but also like Austin musicians, artists, food service workers, people, hospitality workers who are, you know, needing a little extra assistance with their health care are often getting it directly or indirectly through these programs. Central Health also helps pay for premium assistance for people who need it on the Affordable Care Act exchange through Sendero Health Plans, which is Central Health's local insurance company here only serving Travis County. And and they that's all, been, sorry to interrupt, that's been a little bit beleaguered, am I right? Right. They, they've had a lot of, of issues, well, not a lot of issues, I shouldn't say. They, they have been playing in a very difficult market, and so they've had some financial concerns over the years. They are in a more stable position right now. It, ironically, <clears throat> moving some of the folks who were having their care paid for in other ways by central health, who were sicker than other patients were, over to Sendero actually allowed them to draw more federal money down. And so that made the Sendero books healthier going forward. And so they're actually in a better financial position than they were before. But there's a lot of community support for them. When there was a danger of them going out of business or getting wound down last year, there were lots of people who showed right, up at the budget save hearings Sendero to campaign. save Sendero. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, it's working. They say the strategy that they adopted last year is still carrying them forward. Now, am I right in thinking that Central Health owns the Brackenridge they property? They do. The okay. old Brackenridge Hospital, yes. Um, for years and years, Seton was operating Brackenridge on behalf of the city and then Central Health when it was formed. And Seton was paying a large lease every year, $37 million, Oof. for that property. Well, Seton then partnered with UT and the Dell Medical School to build the new Dell Seton Medical Center right across the street from Brackenridge. They moved in there. They are no longer paying that $37 million to Central Health. That's a big chunk of money that Central Health needs to figure out how to account for because the population that it needs to serve is growing and the needs are growing. They're still getting some revenue from the parking garage and such, but there's 14 acres there that used to be the Brackenridge campus that's ultimately going to be redeveloped over time. And this next year, you're going to start seeing some actual signs of change over there. Probably the demolition of the old Brackenridge Hospital Tower is going to be coming up probably by the end of this year. 
and also relocating, uh, reconnecting Red River Street, which right now, if you come down south through the medical center, you stop at the old Brackenridge campus, you turn, and then you turn left. That's all going to get straightened out, and the Red River right-of-way becomes part of the property, like sort of the the promenade between it and Waterloo Park when that opens. So that'll be very nice when it actually happens. So there's your big takeaway about <laughs> central health is the future of Red River. Sir. Exactly. Well, Mike, thank you for coming in and helping to make sense of, a, I think, a pretty complicated issue for a lot of people to understand. And if people want to know more about it, uh, you wrote about it this week in this week's issue. That's and correct. you can find it at austinchronicle.com. That's correct. So, Mike, thanks again for coming in. Joining me now is Roxy Bonifant, who is here to talk about her cover story in this week's issue about a salad dressing company built by twin sisters that was almost destroyed by Austin's real estate boom. Roxy, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. So we are talking about SAS salad dressing, which has been a staple in Austin fridges for over 30 years. Tell me, where does the SAS story begin? So the SAS story begins with Carol and Lori Raymond uh, 31 years ago, the same year that Lori's son Zane was born. Um, they started bottling one flavor of SAS. It was called sesame garlic. It was an old recipe that they got help from their mom in figuring out. And um, they were bottling it in their kitchen by hand. And they brought it into Whole Foods just to see if they had a shot. And it ended up taking off, and now it's been a staple on shelves in Austin, HEB, and Whole Foods, and in the region for years. They've been growing and innovating for decades. And up until about a year ago, they had their own kitchen off South Congress with a staff of about a dozen employees that had been with them for almost 15 years. Um, and they were making major investments into the future of their company. They had just spent about $100,000 on some new, some new machinery and equipment to update their their line and they had also started they were getting ready to transition to GMO free products which is actually an extremely expensive and difficult sure. process uh, and they were really excited about that they'd spent they told me close to $30,000 transitioning four of their their flavors to GMO free products when they found out that their building had been bought by some new landlords and they, those landlords were interested in transitioning to real estate and to office space. So they their rent went up 350%. Wow. And they that found is, out. That is a staggering number. It was insane. They told me that they knew that something like this might eventually happen to them because they'd seen it happen to so many other businesses around Austin. But when they finally saw that number, 350%, they knew there was no chance that they could stay there. They were either going to have to go out of business or leave Austin entirely or try and figure out something entirely new. And this is, I mean, this is a business, like you said, it started 31 years ago. They had spent decades growing it, tending it, uh, adding more employees. You were telling me that back in the old days, the way that they were bottling the original, that they had a unique <laughs> system that they yeah, set up? Yeah, they were telling me about the baby steps that they were making and trying to grow their product as they started to find more success. And like I said, they started out doing it, just the two of them by hand, hand mixing every single bottle. But then they started finding creative solutions to boost efficiency, to create more products. So for a while, they told me they were using um, like syringes for, for like vets to give, I guess, medication to horses. They uh -huh. found out that that was a great way um, to uh, to fill their bottles. Um, they After a while, they started using a piece of equipment that they'd 
a, like a mixer, I think, that they'd gotten in some guy's back. They found it in some guy's backyard that he gave them. And then eventually the, pro- the machinery that they're using now, they ended up absorbing along with a lot of the employees of the, of the salad dressing company Martin Brothers, uh, which they absorbed at the, in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of outdated machinery that they've been using and are still having to rely on because they haven't been able to, to update any of it in the past year because of everything else that's going on. So, okay, that was last year, rent goes up 350%, mm-hmm. and suddenly they're without a home for their business. They're no longer able to get their dressing into stores. Yeah. What is that stretch of time like for them? That stretch of time, Lori told me she anticipated being two, maybe three months maximum, and it ended up being nine months Wow! Um, for a variety of reasons. They had to renovate the space. They had to negotiate with new landlords. And their major problem has been and still is uh, just a cash shortage um, because they'd invested so much money into all of these new, like forward facing ideas about, you know, new machinery and uh, GMO free products. And as a result, they were in a huge hole. They were in debt to a lot of their vendors for their ingredients. And um, they still are now really going day to day. Uh, and they just finally made their first shipment to HEB, I think, in July hmm. uh, after nine months. You said something really interesting in, in the story you wrote this week, uh, that real estate development in Austin is turning decades-old family businesses into cash-strapped startups. I, I want to talk to you some more about that. But before we do that, uh, once again, I just want to remind our listeners that this is the Co-op Fall Membership Drive. Co-op is community radio for Austin, and it needs your support. So call 512-472-5667 with your pledge or donate online at koop.org. Okay, Roxy, let's get let's get back to this. Okay. Uh the you know, this well-established company is now uh resorting 31 years into their business to acting like a startup. What what does that mean? So, I think it means a lot of things. I think that the the main idea of a startup is that it's it's short on cash and that it needs investment and it needs funding. Um, And that's exactly the situation that the Raymond sisters have found themselves in, which means that basically what they've been doing is they've been turning to the community. Um, They started a GoFundMe page and launched a video on Vimeo, um, just pleading for donations to help them stay afloat. And they're also turning to um, investments from outside parties like VC funding. Carol told me that she's starting the process of learning how to do that, which is something they'd never anticipated doing before, seeking outside funding. It's very much the kind of thing that a 21st century startup would be considering in its first steps. And it's definitely not the kind of thing that you would expect to be doing if you were a 31-year-old established business that it had its own location and had been established and had been established and, you know, expected to be seen on shelves by the community. Yeah. This is not an unfamiliar story, I think, for anybody who's been living in Austin for a day or two. Um, that <laughs> businesses uh, that are really essential in building the brand of Austin that are, you know, the identity of Austin find themselves at a point now where they can no longer afford to continue to be part of Austin. Um, They're pushed to the outsides of communities. Uh, And this isn't just about businesses. It's also musicians and artists uh, are all being are all being pushed out. Um, Have they found sort of allegiance with other people who are experiencing this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Carol and Lori, even though they're very much still trying to get back on their own two feet, or I guess four feet, um, they're already starting to think about ways in which they can partner with other local businesses because they're very aware that 
beyond the real estate scene changing, just the the industry has changed as well in town. It's a lot harder to, they were telling me, it's a lot harder to get yourself established as a food business in town. There's a lot more hoops you have to jump through that they didn't have to 31 years ago when they just showed up to Whole Foods with a few bottles and asked to be put on their shelves. And so they're talking to me about the opportunities that businesses have to partner with each other to, for example, share the space. For example, they're currently subleasing from Independence Brewery, and they're hoping to sublease to other other food industry companies as well. And they're hoping to help newcomers um, bottle on their production line as well. And they're also looking into how they can potentially in the future partner with the city as well. And they're thinking very far down the line, what are creative solutions to make sure that local businesses that don't have the kind of massive cash backing that, say, tech companies do, how do they stay in town and how do they keep Austin from just being a tech hub and nothing else? How do we stay diverse in terms of the kinds of industries and the kinds of businesses? that we have in town. And I think you have a unique perspective on this because you are you spend half of your time in an, another tech hub. Yeah, um, I, I go to school in the Bay Area and um, when I'm there, I'm always thinking about Austin. And when I come back to Austin, I'm always thinking about, oh my God, this is the Bay Area is is Austin in 20 years. I, the, the Bay Area is going through this massive housing crisis. We all know about it. It's terrible. Um, and it looks like the same thing's going to happen in Austin if we're not careful about how we police the way in which we grow. Yeah. I mean, arguably, arguably we're already there. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. But, it's just how bad do we let it get, I suppose. Yeah. Well, obviously, this is something the city is is thinking about. And I, I, I assume they know it's in its best interest to, to try to keep local businesses here and an essential part of the, the community. So... Roxy, thank you so much for coming in. Of course, thank you for having me. That is going to do it for us today. Thanks also to my guest, Mike Clark-Madison. Thank you to our engineer, Evan Hurd, and our gracious hosts at Co-op Radio. And thank you to Kevin Curtin and Jonas Wilson for writing our theme music.